we are your primetime bitches, your silly trope slayers, the first girls to go. Hey, we are a horror podcast hosted by a Black woman, that's me, and a Latina bringing social justice analysis into one of the most twisted genres of film, horror. I am Crystal, representing Black Girl Magic. And I'm Sam, your Central American Latina. Hey. And today, we're going to talk about Freaky. I don't know if you like this title, but I titled it, You're Black, I'm Gay, We Are So Dead. Oh, no, that's the correct title. That's just the right answer. <laughs> um, okay, small anecdote. When, when I saw this in the movie, what, okay, when they say that line in the movie, I was like, oh, my God, that's Crystal in me. <laughs> like, it is. Like, that's that why is- we're the first girls to go, people. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that's the name. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's basically what the name is based on, right? But, um. Anyhow, yeah, that's probably my favorite line in this whole movie. I really enjoyed this film very much so. It's a fun movie. Blumhouse, always coming out with something interesting. Always always interesting. I was about to say, always coming through, and you're like, good (laughs) as eh. (laughs) I mean, what was it? Fantasy Island or Treasure Island? Wasn't that one bad? (laughs) It's definitely Fantasy Island. Yeah, I think I think they'd get sued if they said Treasure Island because isn't that yeah, the, the fans will know. Let us know what Treasure know. Island is. Let us know. Tweet us at First Girls know. to Go and for educate us. Yes. Um, okay, so I I kind of wanted to start today off by talking a bit about teenage sexuality. So I adored the sex jokes in this movie. Um, to be fair, I'm a sucker for sex jokes. I love sex jokes, but but I like tasteful ones, not, you know, like super mm. gross. Like we don't need to be, I mean, if it's more of an adult movie, then obviously, but I just, I found the jokes very tasteful in this film, especially because it is marketed towards teens. It is for young people. We are seeing teenagers in this movie. I also mm. want to say that, okay, a lot of movies don't really have believable teenagers, yeah. but to me, the, the 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 kids in this movie, well, they're not kids, obviously they're like adults, but but the adults in this movie to me do look 16, 15, whatever, 14. Yeah. So I I do think it was really important to make sure that the sexuality depicted was tasteful and not creepy, like other other forms of media we have. And um, most of horror, it's usually just like scantily clad people who are supposed to be teenagers getting murdered. It's like, like flashers. Twenty-five-year-old looking teenagers with their, you know, their boobs are out, and I'm like, wait, you're not a teen though. Also, if you were, this is really uncomfortable. Um, but I, I think the film does a great job of showing teenage sexuality. Uh, honestly, oftentimes a lot of teen horror films really over-sexualize teenagers. I think there's this mm. huge burden placed on sex and sexuality. It's kind of something to be frowned upon. I mean, if you really think about it, a lot of old horror movies, like if you have sex, you know that person's going to die pretty mm-hmm. much. You know, um, Scream famously made fun of that, right, in, in their in their movie. But I, I also think a lot of times, too, the sexuality depicted is unrealistic. So you either have actors that are way too old, like come on we know they're not teens don't don't yeah. don't play with me like you're not that developed at 15 16 
so you know they look super old i think a lot of times too the sex that's depicted it's super experienced um when i think teenage sex and sexuality oftentimes is really awkward like yeah they're not porn stars people like they're you I know say, i was about to say some sometimes it's just soft porn yeah yeah and i don't i don't i don't you know and again i i think it's different when you're watching more of an adult movie and thinking like okay like obviously it's gonna be a bit more intense and a bit more experienced you know mid-20s type of vibe but I think when you're thinking about 15, 16 year olds watching that, it kind of sets these unrealistic expectations of what sex should be. Mm. And, and, you know, which is why, again, people have been talking about this for a while, the problem of like porn and porn accessibility, like while porn can be really exciting and for some people it can be very like liberating and, it, you know, it can be an expression of how sexuality works. It could also be dangerous because you might have unrealistic expectations of sex and around sex. Um, so I think it's really important that, not just horror films, but films in general, really pay attention to their audience. Because if you have teenagers watching these movies, then they might assume, oh, my sex should look like that. Like, um, mm. you know, so, so yeah, so that, and then sometimes, you know, again, it really sets this image in young people's minds of what they should be doing. And then on the other hand, sometimes you have like people who look like teens doing really intense things. And then I just feel like I'm watching kitty porn and that's really gross. Right. <laughs> So anyhow, sorry about that, but um, this film, I think, does a really good job of celebrating teenage sexuality. I think it has sexual scenes or sex scenes that are both relevant, but not overtly intense. And again, in the context... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just read one of the quotes. Oh, yeah, the quotes are coming, y'all. It's in the script, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, in the context of being a teen movie marketed to teens, I think it was done very responsibly, tastefully. And again, I just really want to say there are some really amazing sex jokes in this movie that I yeah. personally found pretty tasteful, genuinely funny. Um, I can honestly picture 15-year-old me maybe not saying these jokes because I was a little bit shy in high school, but definitely hearing them around school and such. And, and they were just so refreshing. So I honestly thought I would just share some of them here so we could have a good laugh. Um <laughs> So at the very beginning of the movie, we hear, quote, it's a vagina, not an all night drive through. That is when I started laughing. And OK, for context, you know, this is where our blonde girl at the beginning of the movie, she's getting, you know, rammed against this car by her boyfriend. She's all done. She finishes. She's having a good time. She's zipping up. She's like, cool. He's basically like, oh, my God, what about me? And it just, you know. I just thought it was so funny because I like the role reversal in terms of, yeah, I think oftentimes we see like, oh, guys get off and the girl's just kind of there or guys are doing something kind of unrealistic and the girl's like, oh, yeah, you know, woo. Yeah. And, and I think it's it's just really, really funny in a sense, because I think it's kind of showing this role reversal, like, no, be autonomous, you know, do your thing like. So so I don't know. I, I thought it was hilarious. Um, yeah, I, saw, I was also like, yeah. I was also just like, yes, power move, which like is not my like most like feminist self of like, well, if you switch the genders, it would be fucked up. And I was just like, yes, girl, throw the whole man. Away. <laughs> 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 my pettier self loved it. <laughs> yeah, my pettier self loved it. I'm also just gonna assume this guy is trash because we don't really find out anything about these characters after that because they all die. 
but True. oh my gosh I'm sorry and again this is like a slight tangent but I was so disappointed in our first blonde girl who like clearly wasn't the lead we knew who our lead was gonna be but she was smart until she was stupid and I was so disappointed in her because like she's running from the killer in her house and then she like runs and hides in the closet and you're just and you're watching this like really bitch you, you hid in the closet <laughs> like no but then he opens the closet and he can't see her and he like moves the clothes and she's not there and he like walks out of the room and you see she hid and there was like a hidden panel in the back of the closet where there's probably like a little panel panic room and I'm like fuck yeah she's smart <laughs> like, until she's not and then she leaves the panic room for and no good reason <laughs> And again, that's literally all horror movies. It's like, I'm going to find the safest place possible. And then when you do, it's like, okay, time to leave. What? And, you know, I'll never forget my eighth grade teacher because he always said, I hate horror movies. And I was like, why? And he said, I hate horror movies because why is it that we never run outside the house? Why do we always go to the basement where there's no way out and the killer's just going to come in and kill you? And honestly, how can I argue with that? Because that's the same basic idea. It's like you always do the least common sense thing for some reason. Yeah. So I mean, Scream addresses that really well Scream because like, does agree they acknowledge all. that it's the least common sense thing, but they also trap the character in such a way where they can't do the smarter thing. Like there's that scene in Scream where she's like uh, on the phone and she's like, and the girl always runs up the stairs where she should be running out the front door. Uh, and Sydney tries to run out the front door, but the killer cuts her off and slams the door. So she has to go up the stairs. Like, beautiful, beautiful. True, true. Wes Craven, a genius. Um, oh, Scream 5, you're going to disappoint me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> if you want us to review it, let us know at First Girls to Go on all, on pretty much all social media. <laughs> Woo! But, Anywho. but yeah. So basically after this like car ramming scene, I just also want to say a small anecdote here that I love the transition from the girl getting her head slammed in the toilet to the girl getting like fucked on the car. I just... <laughs> I was like, this is like a cinematic masterpiece. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably blinked. So please go back and watch the movie or watch the movie if you haven't, because cinematic masterpiece. Um, If you haven't watched the movie, I mean, all are welcome, but we will ruin this for you. Yeah, we will ruin this film if you haven't seen it. Um, Anyhow, so, okay, another quote that, okay, I honestly laughed so loud when I heard this, but then I was like, "Mm, this is problematic. And then Crystal and I talked about it. So then- Crystal's going to get more into it later, but okay. (laughs) So one of our characters, he says, as he's walking by Mr. Daniels, Mr. Daniels is a black man and he has a black wiener dog. And our character says, I quote, I love your black wiener, Mr. Daniels. (laughs) End quote. And I just, (laughs) when I tell you I laugh for a good five minutes, it's not okay, but I did. Um, (laughs) Because I just know several people that would make that kind of joke and get away with it in the same way like they would make that joke the other person would be annoyed and they would get away with it so I thought it was super funny um but then you know I think it does kind of add to the predatory gay kid trope um and not not like the single like I feel like if that had been like the only thing in the movie I would have been like nah it's funny because he's using like the homophobia against the man right like I'm gonna make you kind of uncomfortable you know, but like not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's almost it like, yes. just been like a tongue in cheek, like understandable, like funny, but like towing the line. But then they have him do like a bunch of other stuff. And when you add it together, it's not the best look for the character. But I'll talk about that later. 
Yeah, yeah. So so definitely I think there is a collection of moments throughout the film, but you know, Chris was gonna touch on that later. But in in this single moment, I thought it was hilarious because I really think like you can see Mr. Daniels get uncomfortable, but to me it's like a funny discomfort of like Yeah. Because it's it's double his discomfort is mainly because it's a child, I think. Yeah. Like Yeah, like I, I definitely think I mean, also, we don't know much about Mr. Daniels, but we know I, nothing about Mr. Daniels, but I see old black man and I'm like, oh, I think of like older relatives. So literally, I think to be on their side. I definitely <laughs> think to me, it's kind of like it's kind of like boomers and like how boomers are kind of like you'll make a joke or you'll be like super sexually liberal and they'll get all uncomfortable because it's like they're like weird, like uh, traditions, you know, but but it's not because they're like bad or anything. It's just like they're yeah. weird, like then they have this whole crisis. Like, is this homophobic? Is this homophobia? If I'm mad, but you know that we love that they're thinking it through because that's better than a lot of their peers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of what it made me think of because I just, I know several friends who have done this to like older people, and older people get really like weird about it. And then my friends like, don't be homophobic, and it's like, (laughs) but I think it's funny. Um, so another quote I really liked was quote I've seen SVU, I know the signs. End quote, which isn't really a sex joke, but. I just think it was hilarious because so, you know, our our school bully says this to our heroine when, you know, she thinks she's been sexually assaulted by the killer, which she doesn't know is they've actually switched bodies. Um, Which, I mean, you could look at as a form of assault, though not in like in this like vein of how she means it, like because she does lose control and autonomy over her body. That is true. I I there is a discomfort, right? There is an uncomfortable. Yeah. So I definitely I definitely can see it. But I just thought it was funny because, you know, it's the typical teen. She thinks she knows everything because of a cool drama show. And I also think it shows the impact that SVU has had on pop culture, on women, on young women. Um, I I just, I don't know. I love SVU. I I know several people who love SVU. Like, I I really think SVU kind of has changed a lot of the narratives around this in terms of, like, pop culture and media. But I just thought, I thought it was funny. I laughed. It was so funny. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great reference because I feel like Gen Z and Zillennials, like, grew up on SVU, which wasn't appropriate, no, but it was always there. (laughs) Like, SVU's on, what, season, like, 27? It's older than us. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Is this, oh, you're right because it started SVU's in the nineties. No, it did. It did start in the nineties. You're right. Wow. Whoa. I think Whoa. like the first season was ninety five. <laughs> That's wild. Mm. And you know what, Mariska Hargitay, get your check. Though I do think, in terms of police propaganda, SVU was problematic. But that'll be another episode. The ultimate propaganda. <laughs> I mean, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is probably the ultimate propaganda. Like, I've never seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So many people me tell me either, I but it's watch. like very. You see, the propaganda element is why I'll never watch. But like, it's very like diverse and funny and open and like, it's very like liberal, like in a good way. But also, this isn't an accurate depiction of law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think oftentimes the fantasies we have about cops are much more, um, I mean, obviously unrealistic, but in the same time, it's like the ideal we would want from cops, but yeah. the reality isn't there. But um, but anyhow, um, so our school you bully- you want to do an episode on propaganda, we can probably find a horror movie relating to it. Let us know. Oh, there's <laughs> definitely, there's definitely a horror movie relating to propaganda. We will find it or several, or we could do a compile. Or you could suggest it. <laughs> 
Or we could talk about how most horror movies are anti-cops because the cops never show up on time. Which is another reason to love this genre. Yes, because think about it. Even <laughs> even when the lead is a cop, they don't show up on time. Like think about think about Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah, the leads. Uh-huh. Even or like the lead sister in this is a cop, and like she only ever functions as an obstacle until the very very end of the movie, which is like a horror. Cops are useless until the protagonist has done all the work. Okay, it's official. We're doing an episode on this. We have to. Yes. I could go on about this. So we're going to do an episode of Copaganda. Stay tuned. We'll we'll find the time. But <laughs> but anyhow, so our heroine, um, so well, our heroine actually isn't our heroine because it's actually the killer in her body. But so she's still talking to this girl or she's not really talking much now that I think about it. But anyhow, the bully says, and I quote, I'm missing AP bio. I didn't come here to clam jam with you. <laughs> End quote. And I, okay, I nearly died because I immediately just knew what Clam Jam was, even though I didn't know what Clam Jam was, you know? like I mean, same, but that was just like, you are trash in every sense of the word. Yeah. I, and I'm so excited for this death scene. Yeah. And so I, so I literally had, so the thing I thought was, I, I think this scene really shows how terrible the bully is. She doesn't actually care for our heroine and our heroine has had like a traumatic, okay, because Obviously, like she's, I mean, how can she foresee that they've switched bodies? That's not fair. But, but she's assuming that she's been sexually assaulted and she's really more concerned with like, tell me, tell me. Or she assumes that like our, our, you know, protagonist girl is, is gay and having trouble coming to terms with that. And she's still like, tell me, you know, and yeah, she's just not a good person. So when she dies, you're like, bye, good riddance. That's good. Which also like. And the character is like furthering the assumptions of like queer people as predatory because she texts her friend and she's like, no, she like, and it's like framed as though she was like luring me in the bathroom trying to like seduce me or whatever. Like, fuck the bully. Nobody missed you. <laughs> Nobody missed the bully. And I think, you know, I think the movie does a good job over all of that. On the whole, we don't really feel for any of the victims in the film. I mean, we got a mean girl who only cares about herself and is pro- honestly would probably just spread rumors about this girl being gay or something in a, in a mean way, right? In a predatory yeah. way. And then we've got an unbearable teacher who, how is this man employed? And then we have rapey. But you people. know that in your high school, all of you listening, you know exactly who that fucking teacher the is. The unbearable teacher. In your head when Sam <laughs> the teacher, the teacher, you know, who is only there because they couldn't find another job and they hate their life and they also hate you and they're just and they're like and they're gonna drag you down to their level. Mm-hmm. If I'm miserable, so too should everyone else. Be. Mm-hmm. And then you have the rapey football players. Like I, I don't care about these people. Like I. I really again enjoyed the teenage sexuality in this film but I also think there's a lot of conversations we can have about like gender dysmorphia gender expression and and I think I think that's something you wanted to talk about indeed and so most of uh, my conversation around uh like gender dysmorphia and expression obviously surrounds this body swap between our lead Millie and the Blissfield Butcher um because this switch brings in a lot of complications about each character's gender identity and how they express it. So here are some definitions. Uh, And so gender expression is the outward appearance of one's gender, whereas gender identity is like a person's inner sense of being a man, a woman, a combination, something else entirely. Uh, And so in the real world, we would understand the mismatch between gender identity and 
one's physical body as gender dysphoria. And so the American Psychiatric Association defines gender dysphoria as, quote, psychological distress brought on by the incongruence of one's sex assigned at birth with their gender identity, unquote. And this typically displays in trans or non-binary folks. So to say that again in a way that's easier to understand is uh, gender dysphoria is how the mismatch between one's assigned sex and gender identity causes psychological and emotional harm to people. And I also, I also want to add to, um, also great definitions. This is great. Um, Thank you. I also you know, wanna, study up. <laughs> yes, yes, education, wonderful. Um, I also want to add too, right? So, so even though gender dysphoria, um, you do see a lot in like trans and non-binary people. Not all trans and non-binary people experience gender dysphoria. Yes, very important. Disable like that gender identity and how we feel about our bodies is complicated. So mm-hmm. it's all yeah, a spectrum. Which, Just remember, it's y'all, spectrum. it's a spectrum. Period. If you leave with nothing else, leave with that. Um, And so the movie, to a minor degree, reflects uh, gender dysphoria through Millie's perspective uh, and her being uncomfortable around her friend and her crush and like this man's body. Um, And her discomfort extends to um, her reluctance to pursue like romantic interactions with Booker, the football player who's not a douche um like during the body swap as she's like very hesitant and uncomfortable kissing him in the butcher's body and okay okay I'm not gonna lie though as an audience member I was also uncomfortable oh no it's incredibly awkward you're with Millie on that when you're like I really think we could wait like but but I think I think the movie does that well because you know it's Millie's mind but it's this older man's body but this dude is like so down which okay love this dude because he's really just like it doesn't matter but 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 my thing is like you feel the discomfort Millie feels Mm-hmm. like you can feel it because you're uncomfortable you're like this is really awkward but that's how Millie feels and I just I think the movie does that really well yes definitely and also I think they portray Booker well in that it's not like he's so super horny he just like wants to like be with her in any way he can it's not like that at all he's just like I like really like you and I accept you like whatever form you're in and you're just such a great person and a gender like expression and identity and romantic relationships I wanted to look at how actual trans youth uh, understand like relate romantic relationships. Um, admittedly, neither of the characters in this are trans, but there's a supernatural body swap and this is as close to the real world as we can get. Just ride with me for a minute, y'all. <laughs> like, like, just ride with me anyway. Either way, we're gonna learn good things. <laughs> like, and so studies looking at like trans uh, youth before they engage in like gender affirming therapy, which could be surgery, could be hormone therapy, none of our business, um, regardless. Uh, so like, studies that look at trans youth before this therapy found that a majority of them do engage in romantic relationships before or during their transitions, like half of them have kissed someone over like 26%, just over a quarter of them have engaged in like heavy touching and more. Uh, Not too many have had sex, but the age range is from like 12 to I think 16 or 17 in that study. So I wouldn't expect the lower end of that to be having sex anywhere in that. Millie is uncomfortable engaging in this relationship in this very strange situation, but that doesn't necessarily apply to like most trans folks. And in fact, it 
doesn't like people still pursue romantic love while figuring out their gender identity and expression so wanted to highlight that distinction but getting back to Millie the stress and anxiety she experiences don't manifest in the butcher's character but I think that can be attributed to uh the killer's own psychology uh psychopathic murderers really don't tend to experience like uh emotions the way uh we like normal people would normal is subjective but just ride with me for a minute y'all I also think yeah normal is definitely subjective what is normal? but but here's okay I just need to point this out it's definitely a tangent who knows maybe we'll cut this out but I okay he the killer is so like I could not tell if he was into this or not like I feel yes, like which is I also want to talk about because he's killing it <laughs> Because I'm like, he's really like, okay, I'm in this girl's body. I'm going to wear this red jacket with this cool, like, like he looks hot. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh. Like even Millie says at one point, like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like I, like, I think in the trailer, she's like, this killer is in my body and he's fucking working it. Like, literally. But, but you know, what gets me though is, and, and I don't know if I misinterpreted this, but the first one and okay, okay, okay. Stay with me, people. Okay. So you know how like in... <laughs> You know, in Child's Play, which is problematic. If you want us to talk about but... Child's Play, let us know. Oh, there's for us to go. <laughs> there's so much to talk about with Child's Play, but okay, I'm not going to get too far into it. Honestly, if you're a classic horror fan, you should know what I'm talking about. But basically, like, I kind of felt like, and I don't know if I misinterpreted this, but it seemed like the one thing he was pretty upset about is that he's weak. Yes. Like, that he was pretty salty about being so weak because Millie also mentioned several times, oh, wow, I'm so strong. And, and you do notice him struggling. Like he can't break the door. He can't. So he can't do the things he usually does. But then I feel like when he like lured one of the football boys to like mm. a little alley, he wanted to like switch bodies with him, you know? Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's but, a good catch. But then, but then it all like fell apart because the other rapey ones came and they were going to like gang rape her because gross. But, but I I really couldn't get over that. I was like, wait, I feel like he's looking for a better body, like a strong young man. It would make sense. And then it made me think of child's play because that's what Chucky's doing. He wants to be in Andy's body to be to be a real boy, you know? So so I just No, I mean, I think the difference there would be Chucky doesn't get the agency of being able to choose because he probably wouldn't choose right. a child. It's just Andy's the first person he revealed himself to I was about to, I was gonna uh, I was about to say came revealed <laughs> we'll go with reveal is the correct answer but came out is <laughs> the funny wrong answer <laughs> but, um, but anyhow getting back to Millie <laughs> go back getting back to Millie well actually no because you know now now let's talk about the butcher and then we'll get back to Millie uh because this is already in this I already plan to talk about this anyway because I agree that like the physical changes and the busher are super interesting because he gives Millie a full-on makeover like if you haven't seen this he doesn't go for more like of a masculine presentation like looser fitting clothes or like clothes like focused on like athleticism he like raids uh, her sister's closet finds this dope red jacket has this tight black shirt that I'm surprised Millie owned probably stole that from her sister too uh like has these like uh jeans with all these cuts and slits in them like he's working it um but I found it interesting that he was like sexualizing himself in her body um 
And also, like, makeup was on. We do see at one point he dresses Millie or himself in a more masculine presenting clothing in the woodshop classroom when he's killing the teacher who, again, so cathartic because he's such a piece of... That teacher's such a piece of shit. <laughs> like, um, but I also thought, like, him... Like, even the first time I was watching this, I was like, oh, this dynamic is really interesting. Um, It's a small costume change, but he takes off, like, the sexy red jacket and puts on this, like, um, blue kind of, like, smock. It's, like, a looser fitting. The color change of, like, red and, like, pinky tones being associated with women and blues being associated with guys. Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, And I wondered if that decision like from the killer's perspective was brought on not only by the teacher's like gender but also his age like around younger people the butcher feels more comfortable leaning into Millie's gender identity um but around somewhere closer to like his actual age because the butcher is like in his 40s um he wants to take on a more masculine appearance uh, to feel on to feel like they are equals before he kills him um which I think goes to show like our gender expression and how we feel comfortable presenting that around different people can change. Wow. That, okay. That's super deep. I, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to say what I thought. <laughs> no, but go ahead. I really, I really thought, I really thought the butcher changed because he didn't want to get the jacket dirty. <laughs> That honestly, that's probably the real reason. Let's be real. I'm probably deeply overanalyzing this, but that's the show, people. <laughs> I love it though. I love it because I, I didn't think about the red blue, like the the sexy red, and then the like little baby blue. I didn't think about that, but but yeah, I really thought we were just were trying to keep this jacket clean. I'm sure it's like keeping the jacket clean. I'm sure it's easier to dispose of, like after killing him. I'm sure this is mainly for like convenient reasons but also the seeds like changed the more I was thinking about it uh, because at first I was like oh I wish they'd done more like with Millie's like gender expression like after the switch um especially since they go to the department store and Millie's friends are like we need to get you new clothes like we need to get you a disguise like um but then they just get a face mask of some what athlete I don't remember yeah I think Uh, it's like a football player yeah something uh I know so and I was thinking like oh it would have been nice if they played with um like gender norms and like around clothing with like Millie here and like had her dress like how she would feel more comfortable so so I think you're I think you're right like I feel like they did kind of miss out on that one Mm. um but like but because she stays in the butcher's clothes the entire time I think and I'm sorry, I don't remember the actor who plays the guy. I don't know either of these actors' names, but the uh, male actor who's like now playing Millie um, instead has to change how he carries himself because um, like in the butcher's body, she's very clumsy as she grew a foot overnight. So it's very like understandable and realistic. Um, she uses hand gestures a lot more than typically associated with women, like her hands. And I think she uses her hands a lot more in the butcher's body than in her own body, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought could be like her way of compensating for the fact that she's in this big dude's like body. She's kind of like leading into more feminine presenting behavior. Um, well, and I think I think it goes back to your point about like 
the butcher is very comfortable. Like he kind of just embraces the fact that he's in her body. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, I'm going to glam up this body and look as good as I can. Right. Because I mean, he, he looks good. Whereas I think Millie's really like, I need to get the F out of here, you know, like, yeah, I, I like, I think, and I, and again, that goes back to the whole sociopath thing we were talking about, because obviously it is way more convenient for him to be in her body. And then I, I do think he intends to switch later on, but I, I think it's kind of like, I love that you brought that up. I hadn't, I didn't realize that because he definitely I, wanted to switch with one of those athletes. You're right. Cause that's why he was like looking at his arms or whatever. And the dude thinks it's like a sexual thing. And I'm like, Ooh, honey, no, you're being like, you're being like scouted out for like a switch here. <laughs> but, but I do. So I do think, you know, Millie's whole thing is like, I need to get out of this body. So it's kind of like, she doesn't feel the need to like accommodate into the body as much. Whereas yeah. the butcher's like, I'm probably going to be stuck in this for a minute. I might as well like enjoy it. Comfortable. Badass uh, and sexy, you know, like. And like to a certain extent, Millie does like the butcher's body. Like she likes being strong. Like you yeah. said um, Like she likes being able to stand up to her billies. And like one of the guys is always means to her. Like there's a scene with them in the bathroom where she oh grabs God. him and she like, pushes him up against the wall she like, holds him up against the wall and you're like get him girl and he just pees himself um, like ways of playing with like gender identity and expression that I thought were fun to think about um however we don't do everything well <laughs> um especially we're gonna turn from Millie and the Butcher to Josh our um one of our only queer characters because there's more than one as we mentioned earlier they do a lot of the comments from josh make him come across as like predator as a predatory gay kid which we didn't really like uh and this isn't in our heads either because a character nyla um whose actress is so pretty i'm sorry tianjin but she's really pretty uh, like at one point josh is talking about the school dance and how he wants to go so he can hook up with straight guys once they're drunk and i'm like this is the like and other creepy behaviors include i like your black wiener comment that sam mentioned earlier um and he wants millie to show him like the butcher's dick while they're in the bathroom and it's like especially that like last one the other two have like you can walk off as like jokes but that last one is like why do you want to see your serial killer's dick also your friend is currently in this body and she's super uncomfortable like is now is now the time to be joking about this Mm -hmm. um and so these moments are played off as comedic uh, with Josh filling the uh, like role of vulgar, funny friend. Um, but it's problematic because it makes him fall into the stereotype of gay men being predatory. Um, also, Josh is not the only queer character here who comes off as predatory because um, earlier he would, uh, later in the movie, he rejects this guy who's like trying to like come on to him. Uh, oh boy Phil doesn't take this well and proceeds it's like one of the douchey jocks we hate uh, uh, and he who does not take this well calls him a slur and threatens to kill him if he tells anyone about his oh, sexuality interesting <laughs> I took that so differently oh what do you see so okay so I definitely agree that Josh is being portrayed as predatory and I didn't like it like mm. I feel like if he was Kind of jokestery. The the dick thing was weird. That was super weird. But um, and, and the hooking up with straight guys that was kind of creepy. But but the the jock I kind of thought was accurate. Like I I feel like a lot of young men and women like or anyone honestly like I feel like a lot of people have trouble coming to terms with their sexuality. And then when 
they act on those feelings and get rejected, they tend to like view it as, oh, like it's not my problem. It's your problem. Like there's sort of a, like the internalized homophobia. Yeah. You know? No, I agree that that is accurate, but I also think leading the stuff leading up to it too. True. True. You're right. You're right. Cause, Cause I, he, like, I forgot about Josh that away from everybody else. You're right. You're and right. Then he just like kisses him like fuck. Consent. You're right. Josh doesn't get a say in this. Like, you um, you you are a hundred percent right. I I totally forgot about the leading. Yeah, he definitely lures him because he's like, "Where's Millie?" And he's like, "I know where Millie is." And it's like, "Wait, no, you don't." I was about to say, spoiler alert: Phil did not know where Millie was, nor yeah. did he care. You know what's interesting too? Well, I I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, you're you're hundred percent right. That was predatory. Ew, gross. But also, why are all the like football guys then so rapey in this movie? Literally, it's just Booker. Like, thank goodness Booker doesn't like talk to any of these people because otherwise his character would be much easier to tear down I mean he's I just mean, like look I'm on this team I'm like coming up with this story for Booker I'm like Booker's just trying to get a scholarship for college and doesn't want to fuck with any of these people I <laughs> you know okay I mean speaking from personal experience I'm not gonna lie most football players I've known are pretty predatory so I guess that's fairly accurate like I can only think of two guys that were on the football team in my high school that I think I would feel safe being alone in a room with and I think that says Damn. a lot yeah so <laughs> Just because of things you hear. So I, I I don't know. I almost feel like the writer of this film had the similar experience where they're like, yeah, they're all bad apples. But yeah, so so I agree with I agree with your point about about the the predatory. Yeah, there's yeah. oh, that means we didn't do queer presentation well. We didn't really do queer presentation well in here. Um so um yes, and I think it's just and the real big problem is like assumptions of gay men as predators are grounded in thinking of queerness as immoral and like portraying LGBT people as immoral makes it easier in the real life to set them at the outer rings of society and dehumanize them so that like when like queer people like don't have like rights or civil liberties they should have people rationalize that oh well they're bad um and because of uh this like presentation of LGBT folks as immoral there's like a long history of them being accused of like hurting children and like a predatory manner and attacking straight people uh we know factually that this isn't true and in fact queer folks are more likely to be um victims of violent crimes rather than the perpetrators um and so and this stereotype also lays uh the groundwork for like the legal gay panic defense which essentially and like this is slightly dramatic but not really just gives like straight people a license to queer kill queer folks like naturally this was my response (laughs) this was most famously used in the the harvey milk murder trial Mm. where where the guy who killed harvey milk i don't remember his name but he's not relevant but the the guy who he killed doesn't deserve Har- to have his name remembered any fucking way. The the guy who killed Harvey Milk they they used the gay panic the gay panic defense because they were basically saying like oh he was like intimidated by Harvey Milk but they also used the Twinkie defense in that one that he had been eating like so much junk food and stuff that he had like damn his- they really didn't know how to like. I mean, didn't know what to do with this guy. The man he went in there him. and just murdered this guy because he just. I was about to say, did he do it like super publicly too? Yeah, I mean, there was no real defense there, but but I mean, there mm-hmm. never is. But but, but just, I, yeah. I I think the gay panic defense to me, it's always seemed irrational and super offensive because 
there's no like straight. So here's my thing. Why is it that if a gay man, and this is obviously gay panic defense, it works in any context, but it's most typically used like a gay man goes up to a straight man, flirts with him at a bar, the straight man like beats the hell out of him or something and he dies, right? The, the gay man yeah. dies. And and here's my thing. So d- does this mean that when a man harasses me at a bar, can I just use like the, the male panic defense? <laughs> like, you know, which would be far more fucking justified, honestly. Yeah, like, usually because, at bars when guys don't say no shit, you, like your odds of getting like assaulted or murdered are pretty scarily high. Pretty high, and and that's my thing. So to me, what's always, I mean, obviously this is ridiculous, and I don't, I don't think we should be attacking people who flirt with you, but. I will say I've always thought the gay panic defense was stupid because if you literally change who's in the context, it's a ridiculous thing. Like if it's like, oh, are we going to say that then men who are being like harassed by women at a bar, can can they kill the women? Right. No, you're literally going to be like, no, no, that's violence against women. Then what's the difference if the person is like queer? Like I don't I've, I've never understood that. That makes no it's sense. Always, you know, I think like when your defense relies on like a logical fallacy you're just relying on prejudice of the jury at that point and hoping like you get enough homophobic people to make it work yeah because it is a fallacy because i mean and obviously again everybody can be predatory everybody can like assault people like i'm not going to say there haven't been situations where like you know some queer people are predatory just like straight people there are lots of straight people just like women some women are also so predatory but my thing is it's like it's the basic assumption that you're predatory because of your identity so because mm. you're part of like the lgbtq community oh you must be a predator right and i i just i just think that like yeah, the gay panic defense really relies heavily on that because in reality, most of these situations that use the gay panic defense, the person who's uncomfortable can simply walk away or also just speak up and say, hey, I'm uncomfortable. Like, because like that's the other thing. They never use their words or say no, anything. We just no. instantly escalate to violence. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, and so my thing is like, no, like literally toxic, I don't know what you want to call it, toxic masculinity and a combination of prejudice or whatever. I, I just think it's really weird because because it doesn't it doesn't make sense when you start switching out the people. It really doesn't make yeah. sense. It really and doesn't it, make it doesn't when you start like thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, because because my thing is it only it will and obviously it doesn't make sense in that context either, right? That's not what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but like it doesn't make sense unless you have prejudice against like queer people. And even if you have prejudice against queer people, it literally doesn't like what do you think that they're gonna like hypnotize you? Uh, and like ultimately like these like negative depictions of like queer people ease more easily justifies violence and systemic oppression against them which the movie reinforces with pretty much both of their queer characters as like predatory and at least Josh is like a funny and a central character who doesn't die so like slightly better representation but we didn't do well here uh, and we also didn't represent a lot of cultural dynamics well which I think you wanted to talk about was like the dagger <laughs> oh that evil laugh <laughs> dude this dagger I I had a field day with this and then I tried to investigate more and I was just I I trust no one I trust no one I, I started doing some googling because I'm like what is this I gave up. I was like, I think this is just bullshit. <laughs> so, so again, for those of you that watch the movie, you'll know exactly what I'm getting at. Some of you are like, wait, what? So basically, just to summarize, the way they switch bodies is because there's this ancient Aztec dagger called La Dola. And... Uh- 
and they use la dola and basically if you the, the legend in the movie is if you use this dagger and you don't kill the person you stab you switch bodies with them you are hurt as well you you're hurt where they're hurt and then your souls or whatever switch i don't know and i saw no i saw the dagger i just want to say like when we first saw the dagger because we see it in this case because of course you know there's a white colonizer in this movie where there's like the most uh, the most accurate accurate depiction of white colonization ever like because that house we were at at the beginning the dad's like an archaeologist so you know like we, we love that consistency at least um and that's where the killer steals it from which like stealing stolen art there's a conversation there that we're probably not gonna have um and, and like at the, the british museum uses, uh and the second he like raises the dagger to stab her like the background changes and they're on a pyramid and before that i was like you know what <laughs> there's a chance that this could be a european like base like this this doesn't have to be racist we could still do this guys like and then i and then like we I, there's only two, only two people use pyramids <laughs> in movies at least we're either egyptian or we're a stecky <laughs> literally uh, occasionally damn. occasionally it's like a mayan myth or something occasionally true mayan like but, or maya like or um, maya yeah but uh, but either way i was like damn we're either black or indigenous and i'm sad <laughs> like, and here's my thing and, and i'm gonna get really into this in a second but I really want a movie. Maybe maybe we should make one, you know? Maybe we'll make a bunch of... But here's my thing. I really want to see a movie where it is... Okay, fine. If you want it to be a POC artifact, fine. But I want the white people to suffer. Like, I want it to be like, if anyone disturbs... You know, like, I even... This is why I respect the mummy more. Because the mummy's really like, please don't open this. And then they're like, I'm going to open it. And then the mummy's like, okay, time to get rid of all of you. Um... Which even then the mummy has its problems, but, 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 but we but, love a warning ahead of time. Like it's just the most, the most basic thing. And my thing is, and I'll get into this in a second, because I really got to talk about this, this fake Aztec knife because it's not real, but I, okay. So <laughs> I don't know if it's better or worse that it's fake. Probably better. I, well, it's fake, but it's also not. I'll explain. Okay. Let me explain. So la you Lola. your own time. La Lola, right? This ma- so the movie introduces it as this magical ancient Aztec dagger, and so when I first watched the film, I had more hope in the, in the producers and writers. I thought, oh, okay, it's it's probably real, right, or or something. Um, there must be some truth to this, you know. And uh, yeah, I couldn't find anything on La Lola. I really couldn't. Anytime I Googled La Dola, it was just about Freaky. Like it was a movie review about Freaky or it. Yeah. And so, you know, I couldn't find anything on La Dola in Aztec myths or legends or any research on the Aztec people that talked about La Dola. I really couldn't find anything. I don't know if I just didn't look hard enough. Who knows? But I uh, listen, I don't have faith. What does La Dola translate to? I don't know. Damn. Isn't even. (laughs) I don't think it's. No. Doesn't even mean anything. Well, okay. Here's my thing. I don't know Dola. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So the, the, when I look up Dola in Spanish, it says Dola in Swahili means dólares in Spanish. So money. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously it's a made up word. Um, in, in terms of the context of the film, it's a made up word. Right. But here's my thing. Even, even if 
it was actually a Spanish word, that's still not accurate because the Aztec people had their own thing going. They had a, their whole other, like, that, what? This, they, were, they were colonized by Spain. This, what do you mean? <laughs> the Spaniards were the colonizers, not a part of this. Mm-hmm. And and here's the thing. Speaking of Spanish, the the movie points this out. Like the language on the dagger is in Spanish, and and the Spanish teacher remarks this. She's like, oh, you know, she says something like, oh, it's so weird that this is in Spanish. And I'm like, yes, yes, Spanish teacher. It also, shouldn't be. You know what was weird about the Spanish teacher? Because like you mentioned that to me, and I was like, she did. I didn't here that I didn't catch that so I like went back and watched it a couple times um and I realized why I didn't catch it was because she speaks almost entirely in Spanish like oh the only time she speaks in English is to yell at Josh and which is I, deserved. I did like that she speaks in Spanish and they don't put subtitles or at mm-hmm. least I didn't like so no they didn't put subtitles I, I had subtitles on and it just says speaking Spanish and okay, I always, so this is just like me being weird, but it makes me think of like Gloria Anzaldúa and like a bunch of other like Latin American authors and Latinx authors. But the idea of like, there's always that transition to Spanish because like only the select few will understand what you're saying. But at the same time, I'm like, we could have put the subtitles in, like, come on. But okay, my point is she remarks this in Spanish. Like she says, like, this is really weird. You know, like, why is it in Spanish? Oh, and I'm like, literally, yes, please tell me why it's in Spanish. And I'm thinking like, oh, my gosh. And to be fair, even if, um, well, no, you see, the problem is because I went back and watched it again. I listened and I was like, oh, she does say it's strange. I just didn't catch that. But mm-hmm. also I didn't know any of the words surrounding that. Like one <laughs> word I recognized. So I was like, maybe she just meant like this entire dagger thing is strange. But you go ahead. I'm sorry, I cut you off. You're, you're, no, you're fine. You're, you're with Josh. Josh. Josh is just like, yes. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> At least I'm not in Spanish story. <laughs> but, 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 and see, and that's my thing because she even like so like they're literally like making that small effort they're like oh we need to be historically accurate an aztec dagger wouldn't be written in spanish if it's an actual aztec dagger and she remarks this and we never come back to it we we never we never come back to it and then here's the thing i would excuse that if the dagger didn't have spanish on it but they literally make a point to say that the dagger is written in spanish yeah, because that's the whole reason they go to the Spanish teacher. It's they and oh, we could have easily worked around this too. All we had to do was make the Spanish speaker indigenous Latina, like <laughs> or or there there were so many ways to work around this because like literally also we could have just gone off the Google page and been like, oh my gosh, I think it's this dagger. And we could have just found a picture. We didn't have to go this whole runaround with like, it's in Spanish. We need it translated. We could have just had like a translation from the Google. Or if you want to be, because also I get like, okay, they're in like a small town and God knows where, like we also could have found like a, a, a page of a book or something from like a Spaniard. It didn't have to be like, I just, you know, like I, it just bothered me. <laughs> it bothered me so much. And it bothered the Spanish teacher too, because she said it. She was like, that's weird. And yeah, so so the point is, if it were a dagger actually belonging to the Aztec people of the time, the dagger would not be in Spanish. That's my point. Um, and yeah, so she touches on it, moves on. The movie never circles back to it, which honestly, if you're going to be a- inaccurate, just lean into it. Why, why are we trying to be inaccurate, then accurate, then inaccurate again? Like, we gotta commit. Like, I I don't know, but 
But anyhow, I did some more research on Aztec daggers because I was like, okay, I know there are daggers. I mean, you know, maybe maybe it's one of these. And I found some interesting stuff. I want to preface this by saying that there are some historians, many of which I have more faith in, who suggest that a lot of the narratives we know about the Aztec people are obviously false or false to a certain extent or highly exaggerated or completely false um, because it was convenient to the Spanish conquistadors at the time to make Mm -hmm. the indigenous communities in the Americas seem like crazy people that they Mm -hmm. needed to civilize and get rid of. So I really think it's important to keep the white man. So I definitely want to preface what I'm about to talk about, which is what I found on on the daggers um, with that with that sentiment, because I do think it's important to realize don't believe everything you read, even in history books, because history is written by the winners. So. I was like in this one class and the professor said history is literally just like looking at a bunch of like primary source documents and then coming up with the best story and whoever and whichever story is like more popular is what we call history and I was like damn <laughs> that's literally it's what it just, is it's basically fiction like it's basically just historical fiction <laughs> and you know like when I start talking because you know I, I know a couple people or like, just like, even when I follow like some historians or his history PhD students, mm-hmm. all their dissertation is, is just a new take on something. Like it's, it's really just, oh, I'm going to research history from this perspective. And now we have a new history. I just, it's weird to me. I mean, it's cool, but it's also like, whoa, wait, why are we taught? Like if history is concrete when I feel like the only concrete thing, but, but anyhow, so I, I, I definitely, I definitely, again, want to preface this by saying like history is not necessarily, um neutral and and so what I'm about to say I I I'm not sure I fully believe I don't know but okay getting Make back your to, own decisions getting back to the question of the dagger I did some research and found out that there was a dagger a dagger that was used um because the movie does mention or the Spanish teacher mentions that like the dagger was used in human sacrifices which um, like and maybe you're going to talk about this but that doesn't really make sense either well why would they switch bodies well okay so she did mention that they switch bodies if you fail to kill the other person so then you're the person who dies instead type thing like what happens after (laughs) i don't know we didn't think (laughs) we didn't think that listen this is a fake myth we didn't really think it through this is a fake myth but like we have to think through like what was the use of this dagger? We can't just say, oh, it was for ritualistic sacrifice. And if you fucked it up, you switched bodies. And then we all just stood there awkwardly. <laughs> like, and then you get a free Because pass. you know, you switch bodies the next day. So it's not like it switches and like the sacrifice E becomes a sacrificer. But see, <laughs> but see, we didn't even keep that consistency in the movie because it's, they switch bodies overnight, but then at the end, they don't. They switch bodies instantaneously. Ah, this dagger doesn't make any fucking sense because it's made up of course it doesn't make sense but, but we could be like there are plenty of like fantasy and sci-fi stories that have elements like this that were deeply thought through and made sense we are not giving them a pass Just, no the fact that they made it up is even fucking worse because you should make it make sense well well and and so what i'm trying to say here is they made it up but they took elements of actual aztec culture so i'm just really confused because 
Basically, there were daggers that were used in human sacrifices, and the dagger was called, I could not find the phonetic spelling for this word, so forgive me, um, but it was called Tepatel, I think that's how it's pronounced, based on what I know, and it served as a religious symbol, so here's the other thing, I'm like, this is so disrespectful, because we're going to take a dagger that's used for religious purpose purposes and religious ceremonies, but we're going to change the name to a name that doesn't even mean anything, at least not that I know of. And and then we're going to take the same sort of narrative, but take out all the religious meaning behind it. And now we have a weird magic dagger for no reason. And also now we're just using like indigenous elements without any representation. Like we like we really didn't have like where's our indigenous actress? If you're going to be talking about Aztecian people like a rep. <laughs> Literally, it, like why couldn't they have gone to like a, even like I just keep trying to think like, I don't know. I mean, we we could have we could have done this. Why why couldn't we go to like an like an Aztec expert or something? You know, like I don't think that would be hard to find where they live. Like I don't know. Like we could have gone like in movies where people go to museums, but it's like an actual indigenous person or a person of color. Yeah. And like they're like, oh yeah, let me tell you about like my own culture that I study and like experience. And also technology. So it doesn't even have to be like yeah, they're in the small tile. But maybe they FaceTime, maybe they Zoom. Like Literally, all- like maybe a whole better plot would be- they watch a YouTube they, video. They watch a YouTube video of this person giving like a TED talk and then being like, oh my gosh, we need to like contact this like indigenous activist or whatever. And- <laughs> Things we could have had, but didn't. <laughs> Things we could have had, but didn't. But anyhow, so instead we have this dagger in Spanish because we love being inaccurate and putting colonizer languages on stuff. But- Basically, so so this diagram I'm talking about, according to the internet, um, various <laughs> sources on the internet, though not not just like not just any source, but according, you know, allegedly, sources will be in the description. Allegedly, this was used for human sacrifices where the heart was removed from the person that was being sacrificed. Accounts vary on whether the person was alive or dead. Um, accounts vary and Uh-oh. the the other thing yeah so I did do some reading and the the reason why there's a lot of dispute about that is because people are like well it would be more convenient for the Spaniards to say that the people were alive because that seems very cruel yeah um but also a lot of people say it is important to note that the Spaniards did leave out that most of the people sacrificed were like people who had been convicted of a crime or like were from an enemy like group so not that that excuses like killing people but like basically most of the sources agree that also the the dagger the tepatel um was was also a religious symbol and it's found in a lot of like artifacts like depictions of it like drawings or however Mm -hmm. you want to put it it's it's in a lot of like old like aztec things um a lot of people agree that it had a lot of different meanings both in the religious sense and in terms of some people also say that like it's used in the Aztec origin story so it's like a very sacred item this isn't Mm -hmm. like a random knife (laughs) this is this is you know a very sacred item it's used to perform very sacred things because you know so so I just I think it's it's weird that we just I don't know why we thought oh I read about this Aztec dagger the other day it would be great this is our inciting incident this is how we switch them like but, you know, and, and overall, it's it seems, right, it seems that it's a very important symbol. And 
it seems that most of the information information on it, which I found, which I kind of was disturbed by because I really struggled to find information on like what the religious significant was that I thought was like reliable information or citable. Mm-hmm. And it seems that most of the information about this dagger is really revolving around the human sacrifice aspect instead of looking at the spiritual significance or any religious significance, whatever. And I, I just, it bothers me because I really think it's like, even today, the the colonizer narrative is what's being perpetuated more yeah. than really exploring like, okay, well, like, why would they do this? Because people don't just like kill people for no reason. Um, and and so I don't know. I, I just, I had a lot of thoughts about that because I was like, it is so hard for me right now to find what the spiritual significance is, what the creation story is, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but anyhow, all of this being aside, this dagger's really far from what we saw in the movie. I don't even get why we had to have yet another movie with an ancient person of color, magical item, poorly represented by white-dominated media. So. And, like, especially in, like, when these, like, this weird genre of, like, switching bodies, it's always something vaguely racist as the inciting incident <laughs> for why they switch. Oh, oh, friend, I have something so fun because, so... I also did some digging on like the trope of like, I'm calling it a people of color magic item because it varies. Um, but I, I I looked up like, is this a thing? People of color magic items causing body switches? It's a thing. What was, I was just about to say, what was that search? I, that was, it was a journey. Um, <laughs> but so, so body swapping has been a trope in a, for a long time. Uh, I'm definitely going to be talking about this from the Eurocentric white man perspective because I, I'm 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 not going to talk about like narratives that people of color came up with themselves. That's different. I'm talking about like white people using this as a trope. Yes. So the the first record of of a white man <laughs> using this <laughs> is in the novel Vice Versa in 1882. Oh, by back. by a man named Thomas Ensty Guthrie. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but Basically, which to me, I'm like, this is Freaky Friday. The book tells a story of a father and son who pretty much switch bodies to teach their lesson. So the father runs his own little like company or small business, and he's always having a hard time. And the son is having a hard time at school. Um, and he doesn't like going to school. And the mm-hmm. father's basically like, oh, if I was your age, like, I would love to be your age again. You know, I'd love to be a boy. And yeah, so it's basically Freaky Friday, but with a, a son and father. Um, well, that, honestly, I think that story could be interesting in terms of, like, educating them both on, like, wanting to grow up too fast. But also people romanticize their youth a lot. And, like, in a way, so we're, like, growing up is very traumatic. <laughs> and, like, once you start, like, thinking, you're like, oh, wow, that, that thing that happened to me was fucked up. Wait, that was fucked up. And you just start, like, reflecting on it. Like, I think people romanticize childhood. Yeah, and and I think, so I didn't read the book, obviously, but based on the summaries I looked at, it seems that's the point of the book. It seems that the point of the book is really to, to, um, to exactly what you just said, pretty much. Like, the point of the book is to really sh- show the dad that he's kind of being unfair because he is romanticizing his childhood and the son is, like, also being really hard on the dad without knowing what it's like to be a grown, a grown person. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, well, all of that, it seems like a great story. Um. Oh, which is, that's so interesting because Freaky Friday really just focuses on, or most of the Freaky Fridays we see in, like, movies focus on, like, the kid is such a brat, like. Yeah, and again, I don't know, because this is all based on summaries, so maybe, like, it is very bratty, but 
but um you know so hey. so it all seemed it all seemed good but uh, <laughs> uh the way the father and son switch bodies or transform into each other because they do more of like a hot chick type thing where they transform into each other rather than like body hop i guess oh um which the hot chick does do that um but Basically, the way they do this is through a magical stone that comes from India. Ooh. And, it, uh, and it grants the person who has it one wish. What a waste <laughs> of a wish. Dumbass. <laughs> um, I, I don't understand. some white shit to wish for. <laughs> like- very, very white, but also that counts. A magical stone from India. I, no, that definitely counts, but I'm mad. I'm mad that that was your wish. <laughs> um. So anyhow, I think that really highlights this trope. I mean, the origins of this trope, it, it seems, does come from this idea of like ancient exotic artifacts from places that people of color come from. And it, it's basically the cause of like the nosy white person's inconvenience. And mm. it made me think of mummies. I've been thinking about mummies a lot because... You know, this idea of disturbing an ancient tomb in a faraway land and then suffering consequences from it. And the thing is that this isn't a trope that got left back in the day, right? So I'm like, oh, this book's outdated. It's from the 1800s, you know. No, we're still seeing this trope today because when you think about Freaky Friday in 2003, they switch bodies because of the magic the Chinese woman uses. So I like the Chinese restaurant. Also, those depictions of those characters are incredibly racist. (laughs) So many thoughts about that because I just, and also it just is so problematic too, because I'm like, oh, so we're just saying that they don't care about their consent. Like we're not going to ask them if they want to do this or, oh, okay. Um, And then you see another similar situation in the hot chick. What? No, I just realized that like almost like in terms of like the stereotype, because like there's a stereotype of like uh, Asian people working in a Chinese restaurant uh, and I think at one point they revealed that they're not even like Chinese. Uh, there's the stereotype of like, also the mom, like the woman who switches them kind of fits the stereotype of like, not quite like the tiger mom, but like overbearing mother who's like imposes her will on um, people she deems like. She's nosy. Under her, like super nosy, like the nosy older woman who I feel like is usually portrayed by a woman of color. Like, um, I'm just really thinking because you don't because you really get much time with them to think about how mm-hmm. fucked up their characterization mm-hmm. is. Anywho, back to the hot chick. Like, I mean, I know I I agree with you. I think you're right. Like, I feel like if you really start exploring the people really, of color like, with that, like. <laughs> If you start exploring people of color in these movies, yikes. Um, because the hot chick doesn't do much better. <laughs> but okay, so I love the, the hot chick with a lot of really relevant actors, which I didn't realize until I rewatched it. But anyhow, in the hot chick, it's the same idea. There's an ancient pair of earrings, which are found in modern day Ethiopia. And these ancient earrings were used in the BC era to switch bodies. <laughs> nobody ever explains why they would want to do that like nobody ever explains why these brown to be fair to be fair the hot chick does give us a story i could tell the story if, if it will help i don't know the hot the beginning of the hot chick we find ourselves in in you know this ancient ancient world um oh what is it called it's not even it's not called ethiopia it's called which is accurate it's called um 
to be like fair, their original name. Yeah, it's called um, Abyssinia. Yes, so we find ourselves in Abyssinia, which is modern day Ethiopia. Um, so the hot chick takes us all the way back to Abyssinia, modern day Ethiopia, and it's like 50 BC or something like this. It's it's BC, but yeah. Basically, there's like a princess, I think, or she's she's kind of a noble person, like a mm-hmm. higher up, and her servant. And they're trying to marry the princess off to this like old man. Gross. Uh, and basically, the princess doesn't want to marry the old man, so mm-hmm. she switches bodies with her servant, uh, which they both seem to consent to. Based on based on what we see in the flashback, which in my also mind, the power dynamics of that setup. But that also, is- if I was the servant, I would take that fucking deal. <laughs> I think that's the point because I, you know, I thought about the power dynamics, but then I thought this girl really doesn't want to be in a loveless, unhappy marriage, and then the other girl probably would be cool not being a servant anymore. So, yep. So basically, so yeah, that's the that's the premise, and then you know the the earrings somehow end up in a gift shop etc and then we we go on this adventure in in the hot chick okay but, at least the hot chick has a reason that's better than freaky and yeah this, um although i don't know if there are magical i don't know if there are magical earrings in ethiopia that's that's my only issue right like i just why do we always I know, I meant from a logic standpoint these are oh. all racist <laughs> <laughs> yeah from a logic standpoint we did put more effort into this plot um and and so you know and then in freaky of course it's it's the magical dagger used by the ancient aztecs supposedly allegedly but some people out there might want to argue that the plots of these movies would not be the same you know it's it's not the same if we don't have these tropes or this this narrative but i would strongly argue that that's not the case uh so i haven't seen the original version the original movie of 1976 uh freaky friday Mm-hmm. But from everything I could find, the reason they switch is because it's Friday the Thirteenth, which would make sense because it's always because Freaky Friday is also on Friday the Thirteenth, um, and as is Freaky. And I just think, yeah. And then the whole trope is always you have twenty four hours or whatever, and I just you need to switch back at midnight or whatnot. I, you know, we could get struck by lightning. I would think it's weird, but whatever. We get struck by lightning. Honestly, I'd be fine with, like, oh, like a white witch is like and acts a curse on the killer because he killed like someone she loved. Like, yeah, there's this, you know, there's curses, lots of curses in cultures that aren't just POC cultures, right? But yeah. what I'm trying to get at is, I think white people, white creatives, in this case have a fascination with POC cultures, but it's not even a fascination. It's more of like, ooh, I'm going to fetishize and fantasize about what this is and instead of educating themselves. And all in all, aside from this being super creepy and gross, it's just lazy. Like, (laughs) it's just lazy and dumb. Like, it's racist, lazy, and dumb. (laughs) What was the point? (laughs) Get it going with your plots, man. It's just a weak plot. When, when you make up a random artifact that we have to find and, and then we have to read up and study on this legend that's not even real. And the other thing I want to say is if you want to make an artifact, at least make it from your own culture, right? So if you're the creator, right. make it from your own culture, make it respectfully. Also, don't white people have myths and legends too? I, I Why can't they use one of those? That Those are because, my thoughts. Because like white because white people are just American like I think this is also very like the writers just probably have a very like American centric 
mindset um because like european countries have like a shit ton of like myths and legends that they could have drawn from they're just like why would we do that like like the thought probably never occurred to them because uh, which is so funny it's always all about white people until the one time it would make sense for it to be ridiculous it's just like and it's disappointing in the movie because um like they make fun of the trope of i'm black you're uh gay we're dead but like and then they engage in like these tropes like with um the dagger uh with like josh's character with like other queer characters and it's like it's kind of it's disappointing because you think this is going to be a very like forward movie and they do mm-hmm. some good things but they fuck up other things so it's a little disappointing that like we fall into the tropes we made fun of like it's like haha i was just looking at like media representation of like lgbt folks and i went on this uh slight tangent but i think it's really interesting and so because you find a disturbing pattern like even beyond horror of um lgbt folks lacking representation until the 1970s and when they are depicted it's incredibly negative uh the first one of them being like the barrier gauge trope uh where the queer character is either brutally murdered or suffers a fate uh worse than death such as torture uh and typically uh, and this can come across in like two different ways typically a new character is introduced exhibiting behaviors stereotypically associated with being gay because it's uh, um or queer, um, such as like being overly flamboyant or like the stereotypes associated with lesbian women, um, such as like being with Bush or into like building stuff. Um, and so like after these behaviors are established, they're done in by the killer and the antagonist or how this comes across is a previously established character will come out as gay and get brutally murdered after coming out, which is what happens to old boy Phil. Nice, um, nice. I'm just- <laughs> and so obviously this is fucked up as it normalizes violence against the lgbt community and tends to come off as a character deserving their fate due to their sexuality just like Um, just like if you're not a virgin you're gonna die too if you yeah if you're sexually immoral and horror you're screwed be it not being a virgin being uh like not straight like Mm -hmm. again unless you're a straight white virgin who's just like boring as fuck like you're dead <laughs> you you have to be a straight <laughs> cisgender because she's boring in the beginning of this movie. you have to be a straight cisgender white virgin who's also vanilla mm. and then you'll live period and then you maybe live <laughs> maybe maybe um and so as we like mentioned earlier it uh it like normalizes violence against the lgbt community who uh, and folks who are more likely to be victims of violent crimes. A report uh, found a report from the Williams Institute at UCLA found LGBT people are specifically over three times more likely to be victims of violent crimes than straight people. And so, kudos to the movie in one sense for not uh, falling into the barrier gauge trope um, and making other. Uh, fun of other horror movies that do but tragically the movie fails because phil like you think oh they did a good job with josh because it's easy to forget phil so we do um but i think we don't fall too deeply into the barrier gay stroke because phil has been established to be an asshole he's uh, he's one of the asshole josh so you're expecting Rapey. him to die because he's predators also 
but and there's another trope I wanted to talk about in the anything that moves uh trope and this is giving the movie credit because there's tropes in media of like uh specifically gay men wanting to being down to have sex with anyone at any time whereas uh and they and here in Freaky, they don't make Josh desperate for sex. Um, when Phil offers, he's like, no, I need to help my friend. He's very much so not into it. Um, and so th- this trope of like gay men as being like highly promiscuous, carries important social and political consequences. Uh, as a study shows, people exposed to this trope are more likely to oppose gay rights than people who are educated about how like, stereotypical this is. So it's important to recognize that these like tropes and stereotypes carry real life consequences for people who are just trying to live their lives, uh, especially when you're in like smaller towns or you're not exposed to people who are different from you. Uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I also think like, and it all kind of falls in, damn, maybe, maybe there should be an episode about this because I think there's a lot to be said about horror movies. And I think they're slowly moving away from that. Like, I think we're slowly getting better. But I do think there was a huge era of horror, which is just like, again, do not have sex so you don't die. Don't be gay so you don't die. Don't be anything outside the gender binary that we have established as a society and you won't die. Mm-hmm. So so I definitely think that there's a lot to be said about that. And, and also it's just, it's you know, society fuels your media but media also fuels your society and that's something we all have to kind of think about definitely so like if y'all want us to talk about like sexual morality and horror let us know the propaganda episode is assuredly happening we just have to hatch a plan of how of how and when (laughs) of how and when but also slight tangent because they really sent my gr- black girl Nyla into the police <laughs> station. So, like, this isn't in the script. This is just my rage. They really sent our black girl, like, you're going to go into the police station and steal the dagger. And, like, it's totally going to be fine. There's not going to be any problems. There's two other white people in the group, but we're going to send the link. There was at this point Booker's joined the team. So it's Booker, it's Josh. There's two white men we could send in, but instead we send the black woman. Well, no, Josh wasn't there, but right. Yeah, Josh wasn't yeah. there because he was like outside. But because he's but also he does show there. up, he does show up later. Also, but also okay. he does you know, we could have reversed the jobs because instead of Josh watching the killer, Nyla could have watched the killer, and Josh could have went. There was I'm uh, bitter. <laughs> Because here's my thing. Why didn't Booker go? Because Booker makes the most sense. Like, mm-hmm. he's a straight white man. Nothing's going to happen to him in a, in a police <laughs> like, but Especially if he's like, and he could also be like, he could distract and be like, oh, you know, like me and Millie are just really into each other. And like, she wants to see the dagger again. And I'm sorry, I just got really overwhelmed. And like, we could have played this off. Like, well, he, and could have distracted with, oh, I really like your sister. That could have gotten the cops like, oh, and, and my, my other issue with this is that I don't know if the film was trying to be, because I feel like the film acts stupid in the sense of like, oh, we're going to send our, you know, we're going to send Nyla in, our one black girl. We're going to send her into a police station by herself. 
But then the reaction of the cop is like super accurate, I think. Yeah. She doesn't Instantly even points a fucking gun at her, doesn't ask any questions, and is felt she's known this girl for fucking years. This is her sister's best friend, doesn't hesitate to put a gun on the kid. Like and, and that's the thing that's weird to me because I'm like, on the one hand, it's super stupid. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh, but that was accurate. And then I'm like, wait, but also Nyla, what are we doing? <laughs> like, Nyla, why? Why would you agree to this? Play? What the fuck is wrong with Nyla? That's the real question here. Bad enough they send her in here. Why would you agree? This yeah. is how we die in horror movies in defense of the white protagonist. Admittedly, Nyla doesn't die, but shit, she got pretty damn close. Literally, literally. So I just, I don't know. I have so many thoughts about that, but, uh, but yeah. Yes. So if you want to, st- so copaganda and horror, like, or like police corruption and horror would probably be the better way to put that. Like woo-woo. it's coming. We just got to figure it out. Woo-woo. Send us suggestions and follow us on pretty much twitter instagram um tiktok at tiktok at first girls to go yes all right thanks for tuning in and see have a good one